0: You have made me
1: very desperate. You might not be glad that you did it.
0: There was an idea. To bring together a group of remarkable people if they become something more. Like the battles that we Welcome to Fury's Finest, a podcast and resource devoted to discussion of Marvel Crisis Protocol. My name is Jesse Akin, and I am joined by my co-host and good friend, Chris Bruffett. How have you been this week, Chris?
1: Well, considering all these news drops, the thing I'm most excited about has been confirmed. <laughs> <Looking
0: great. laughs> oh, that's right. If you would explain to the listeners, maybe the favorite thing has been hinted at. We'll just get out on the table. Yeah, we have some confirmation that the mutants are coming. That is right. So I think you guys will still have to take a drink every time, but. Hopefully now it's going to be less just you know hoping and now it is actually confirmed. I'm glad you mentioned that up front because there's a lot of other exciting news too, but let's talk about the X-Men first. So we don't know anything yet. I am very happy because Atomic Mask Games finally clarified and told their day of their Gen Con digital panel, which is 29th. That's really exciting. And I was already going to be watching Gen Con that night anyways, because the Fantasy Flight Games in Flight Report is that same night. I already had it blocked out on my calendar and everything. I was hoping we could all watch and, you know, hang out on Discord or something. It's going to be exciting. I'm very excited about getting all my FFG Star Wars news and then my Atomic Mass Marvel news in one night. What a great moment.
1: It'll be a nice little vacation type evening. That's right. Hanging out on video chat with the buds, watching the the feeds. So
0: there's so much we could speculate about X-Men and so much we already have. And we're not really going to take up your time today with that because I'm sure we're going to do it in the coming weeks, Chris. The panel will be very quickly behind this, and then, of course, next episode, we're going to be talking about probably just that panel, Chris. We might have to put one of our Guardians episodes on hold for one week, like I mentioned in our Bucky Barnes episode. But that aside too, Chris, there's a lot of exciting stuff. I hope you guys enjoyed last week's episode, which was a little bit of a curveball, our first episode of our interview series where Mark Sarastro was so generous to come on and be interviewed for our show and tell us about his journey to gaming and to painting and to content creating and into being a force in this community. I can't wait for more
1: episodes in that series, Chris. I just can't wait. I'm pretty excited about it. I thought that episode was awesome. It's super interesting to listen. I'm excited to see who you can get next. I'm just happy we learned something,
0: Chris. Of course we did from Serastro, And he was so generous with his time and his knowledge. And he had so many great, concise, just helpful things to say about painting. And just, you know, hobbying in general, his journey with that is really inspiring. Like I said, a couple episodes back, this series, I hope is, if anything, is just going to inspire us to do good content and improve. Because we're interviewing all these people that are doing Incredible stuff in the community. So we hope you guys like that. If you did like it, share it with other people that might not necessarily be an MCP yet, but they're obviously probably fans of Sarastro. if they follow anything involving miniatures. I'm looking at you, some of my friends in the Legion community. That might be a good episode to pop over to them and you know introduce them to MCP and what we do here, trying to get people into this game and building this community. It's so much Chris to talk about. So we have X Men and we're going to do that deep dive, and I'm really excited about that. And I am super happy right now too, because two of my favorite things in Marvel have now, they've coalesced. So we have the X-Men announcement, which is my second favorite thing in all of Marvel. And my first favorite thing in all of Marvel is Spider-Man and Spider-Man villains. And we finally, finally have Miles and Gwen on their way. They'll be here next month, hopefully very soon, and Green Goblin shortly behind them. And that's going to basically bring in two new entire affiliations to the game immediately when these characters get in our hands.
1: It's going to shake things up a bit. We'll see how their affiliations shake out and how it looks. But it looks like the web warriors are going to be pretty strong. I would agree, Chris. You and I had a discussion recently after we stopped
0: recording. And of course, it had been a great just standalone episode. But we were talking about the viability of characters and how what's really interesting, Marvel Crisis Protocol is so balanced. Every character honestly has a great role. Sometimes- quite frequently. It's even more apparent now with the TTS leagues going on. There's two characters that get left at the bottom, and that's Crossbones and Spider-Man. Now, I don't think the announcement of maybe the Spider-Foes or the Web Warriors fixed Crossbones. But maybe Peter might actually be worth four threat now. But this is what's weird is he might only be worth four threat if he's in this affiliation. So that's kind of the inverse of it. And I still think Crossbones is definitely worth it. And Chris, I think with our recent friend that just came out, Thanos, which we just got in our hands, which is a whole nother topic. We obviously have many episodes coming about Thanos. That aside, I actually think Crossbones got better because Thanos has that little teleport. And who do you want to teleport up the map? Crossbones.
1: I'm very excited to do it. I'm very excited to prove that my boy is not terrible. He might be terrible. I actually just don't care at this point. I just want to use him. He's
0: actually exceptional. He's just slow. Like He
1: is certainly
0: one of the best three cost characters if he had a medium speed. But since he doesn't, that's where it gets complicated. But I mean, imagine he had a medium speed and then he moves when he's damaged right? as well that would be out of control, Chris. So that's probably what they had to do. They really had to nerf him down a bit. But Spider-Man has always been a sore subject for us because we really like him. I love him. I've used him to great success in this game. As the game has gone on, there are so many great four-threat characters, and it gets harder and harder to justify taking
1: him without an affiliation. The more characters that get released, the more competition we have for each one of those points. And Peter just doesn't have the oomph. He doesn't... No. Deal enough damage. He doesn't take enough damage. It he boosts health of any four cost character. I mean, there's just a lot of strange things. It's tough. He just doesn't do enough to justify that four. He'd be a great three cost character. And the
0: irony of this, Chris, is trailing right behind them is Doctor Octopus except you and I made a really strong case in our Dr. Octopus episode for his viability. And I think if you guys haven't listened to that, definitely go back and listen to that episode. I think everything we said still stands. And I think more so now because he finally has a home as well. So he's been played less because he has no affiliation. You know, a three cost guy with Wall Crawler and Pierce. Pierce is just so good. It cannot be understated. So awesome. Pierce shows up in this game or for any miniatures game for that matter. When you just take away defense dice to guarantee damage gets through is incredible. Both of them have a place now. So let's talk real quick about the web warriors and the spider foes. So the first thing, Chris, about the web warriors is something we already knew. Miles Morales is the leader. So in order to get this leadership ability, you're going to have to have Miles on your roster. Let's talk about what the web warriors leadership ability is. It's called great responsibility. Great theming here. This leadership ability affects the web warriors affiliation and allows them to re-roll one defense dice, any defense roll. Additionally, if a web warrior is holding or contesting an objective token, so that means they're carrying an extract or a web warrior is contesting a secure objective. They can reroll and modify all failure results. And the flavor text they have here is web warriors cannot allow themselves to fail when the fate of others is on the line. Chris, this might be my new favorite affiliation ability, not because it's my favorite characters and my favorite team. I kind of love this because I never count on my own dice ever.
1: It sounds super powerful. If you go ahead and pair these web warriors with a heavy hitter or maybe a couple heavy or hitters a tanky character, yeah, to hold the front line while well, they just completely go nuts on the objectives, they're long movers, they're quick, and with this affiliation ability, that's crazy, yeah,
0: and let's remember the beauty of m c v Chris is of course if as long as you have majority of your team, web warriors. The other characters on your team are getting this ability as well. So tanky characters like Hulk or Captain America or something get tankier because they get rerolls on their dice on defense. And on top of that, I think, Chris, this kind of tells what the team's about, which is objectives. They're not about fighting. And I think that was pretty clear with Peter's card, because one of the complaints people had about him is that he doesn't do enough damage, though he has great control. Damage doesn't matter. They are getting the objectives done. They're controlling enemies. They're pushing and throwing enemies away. It's great. In playing into that, let's talk real quick about the Spider Foes team, because it is kind of the inverse of this. So first of all, Green Goblin is the leader of the Spider Foes, Chris. And I cannot tell you how happy I'm about that because it is my favorite model in the game, and I'm happy that I'm gonna see it all the time because it's a leader.
1: I was gonna say it's a great choice just based on how awesome that sculpt is alone. It is, and I like this
0: because this is the early days of the Spider-Man villain teams, and Norman Osborn is a perfect leader of the early days. So let's talk about this ability real quick. It's called the Oscorp Weaponry, is a unique leadership ability that affects anyone with the Spider Foe's affiliation. Once per turn, one of Spider-Man's or a Spider-foe member can spend one power while modifying enemy defense dice to re-roll one opposing defense die. At first glance, Chris, this sounds like a weaker version of King of Wakanda, right? Exactly. And I think we're going to hear that a lot. I think we're going to hear people doing some snap judgments about this and being kind of maybe a little judgy too early, especially because we need to see the kit of some of these Spider-foes as well. Exactly. But I'm going to say it's as strong as Wakanda, though a little bit more tunnel visioned. It's stronger than Wakanda because modifying the enemy's dice is better than modifying your own dice, right? I agree. Now, inversely, Wakanda, you can modify any of your dice if you have the economy, defense, attack, dodge. But I think most importantly, Chris, is I think this is going to kind of shoehorn this faction clearly into more of an aggressive play style, I think. And I don't think you're going to care as much about Maybe rerolling your dodges or rolling your attacks, because as long as you can guarantee damage gets through to the enemy, I think this is going to be the focus of this team. From what we know so far,
1: I'm thinking maybe you sneak a Killmonger in on that team. I think you're right. Let's just get this done.
0: Exactly. Let's kill them quickly. Let's remove activations from them in the earlier rounds of the game, and then you'll truly be in charge in the late rounds. Now. It's exactly. only one defense dice, but Chris, you and I did refer back to the appendix of the PDF, not the rule that comes in the core set, but the full online PDF that they continue to update. We made sure to check the steps of the modifying defense dice area, and most importantly, and why this is really interesting, you would also say, isn't the Spider-Man ability better than this because they get to re-roll a defense dice, and they get to re-roll all failures? Well, yeah, of course, but they got to meet that stipulation of holding an objective for the failures. But that aside, this happens essentially last. There's a lot of steps in the attack phase, a lot of steps in the defense phase, and a lot of steps in the modified dice phase. The attacker modifying the defense player's dice is one of the last steps. And that's important because in a way, when Green Goblin or Dr. Octopus is attacking Spider-Man, yeah, Spider-Man gets that reroll. For free. He doesn't have to pay a power for it. But Green Goblin and Dr. Octopus get to go after and maybe just re-roll that dice that just turned good for Spider-Man.
1: The possibilities are kind of awesome to think about and just I don't know. It's it's gonna be interesting to see where this slots in as far as the meta goes. I could see it going one of two ways. I could see it being very strong, you know, finding the right flavors to put in to this team. Yeah. But I could also see it just being absolutely lower middle of the pack. It very well could be. And, you know, Chris, people had
0: similar turmoil when we heard about the King of Wakanda ability. It didn't seem that great. And, you know, Wakanda's winning everything lately, at least on online, on the TTS tournaments, and a lot of local tournaments for things of the world shut down. Wakanda was winning a lot because, you know, there's more to a team than their affiliation, Chris. There is so much more team than an affiliation, and I'm about to get into that with Black Order, but before we get to there, there's so many questions. Do the tactic cards of the Spider Foes team, because we're kind of going this Oscorp theme and this corporation backing, do the tactic cards revolve around getting free economy to spend on future turns to use this ability? Interesting thought. There's so many things, because- Wakanda Forever is probably the best tactic card in the game. You, you get to attack with your whole team outside of activation order. And the King of Wakanda ability is clearly not as good as like the Avengers ability or the Cabal ability, but the best tactic card in the game, there's all these factors that balance things out. And then Chris, we got to talk about the point spread in this game. Black order is very expensive. They have a hard time fitting into a lot of objectives. Wakanda is super cheap. They're always wide. And that's a feature of their affiliation, whether or not it's on the card, it doesn't matter because every character that's part of these teams has different threat costs. And that's part of it too. And we still don't really know everyone's threat costs in the way of spider foes and web warriors.
1: It's going to be interesting.
0: I just hope Rhino's awesome. Oh my gosh. He's got to be awesome.
1: He's got to be a tank.
0: He's yeah, be to terrifying. be terrifying. I'm waiting for Lizard and, of course, Mysterio. Oh my gosh. Honestly, every Spider-Man villain, I want them all, Chris. Even Kingpin, Like I want him just to be sitting at the back and all of his actions are moving other characters around the map. Because that's what he's going to do. He's not going to fight. He's sit back there. But he might be a tank brawler, too. You never know. So there's so many different questions.
1: It would definitely fit in if he was a tank brawler. He'd also fit in as a full-on support. Oh, there's yeah. no
0: telling what they're going to do. And that's why we love this game. They always have us guessing. So, Chris, that's a lot of stuff. And we obviously are we're having restraint. There's so much more we can talk about. We got a little taste of maybe Green Goblin, what he's going to be like, Miles and Gwen, what they're going to be like. And something that really caught my eye, Chris, of this, and I think this is going to catch your eye as well. They did something really interesting with Green Goblin. They gave him a new ability. Oh, I saw called it. Called Arch Nemesis. And he has an Arch Nemesis that is Peter Parker. We knew that from the lore, but it's a new mechanic in the game. And I'm wondering if they're going to proceed further with this. And notice it's the alter ego name, not the superhero name. And I think that's very important as well. So anytime there's a Peter Parker on the table and Green Goblin's on the table, as long as Peter is in range three of Green Goblin, his first action every turn has to be to attack Peter if possible. I love it. Thematically, mechanically, these are things we were not ready for in this game. I was not ready for this at all, Chris. I'm shocked.
1: It's a complete departure from anything else they've done, and the possibilities for crazy 10 of 10 intelligence plays Oh man, are just insane. You kind of
0: got a mind game now between Peter and Green Goblin. Mm-hmm. To make this even more interesting, Chris, they gave Spider-Man's failed re-rolls ability on defense when he's holding an objective to Green Goblin. He gets to re-roll all fails on attack when he's only attacking Peter. So on top of that, his attacks are really potent against Peter. This is crazy. And the little line they threw at the very end of this is what really blew it off the charts. They said, notice it says Peter Parker, not Spider-Man, because Green Goblin has nothing exactly. against Miles Morales, and he can actually smell out who the real Peter Parker is. Ultra egos are, even when he's in other suits like the Iron Spider or the Bombastic Bagman for the Fantastic Four. So, we just got two more characters confirmed as well, Chris. Two more Peter Parkers in the game coming that are completely different characters.
1: I'm very excited about the Iron yeah. Spider.
0: Very when you excited. Think about that Bagman where Peter wore that bag over his head to fight with the Fantastic
1: Four for a while. Uh, slightly less excited, but you know. That's a mean character that people love. They could go with the actual character in Future Foundation because that suit was awesome. right?
0: And I think maybe that's the route they might go because that is obviously the evolution Mm -hmm. of the bombastic bag man, but it's just funny. The Fantastic Four suit with the bag over his head and he's swinging around, you know, so he's not identified as Peter. This is great because now we got confirmation of different Peter Parkers in the future that are going to cost maybe more or less, Chris. And I think this in a way is a of mass saying, okay, maybe we didn't get the first Peter Parker exactly right. The web warrior leadership ability is really strong for everyone in the Spider-Man team. And then on top of that, we're dropping new Spider-Mans in the future, which is something we knew was going to happen. I just didn't expect it this quick,
1: or at least the announcement of it, you know, could be well off. Everything with this game has moved so much faster than I've been ready for. To be honest with you, right?
0: You say as you have your stack of of boxes ready to be hobbied. I know yeah, it's. I know that's kind of where everyone's at right now, though, Chris. I mean, I was feeling overwhelmed, and then they're like, "Thanos is shipping work," because we're back on track, and it's like, "Oh my gosh!" You know, we essentially got four months of releases overnight. Man, this is a lot to take in. Too much. On top of that, some of our theories on the show were realized, Chris. Miles has stealth, which is what I always want in my life. Gwen can pull allied characters away from getting attacked, some more control, they all have throws. They all have ways to make it away across the map. This is incredible. This faction is going to be out of control. That
1: team's going to be so good. So Pure good.
0: control faction. I cannot wait. I'm happy. My playstyle, it's my team, it's my characters. But on top of that, Chris, sometimes I'm just going to have fun. I'm just going to play all Spider-Man villains. I'm just going to play all Spider-Man villains. I'm very excited for that team. <laughs> this is plenty to be excited about. And less than a week, we will have X-Men concrete news and probably pictures.
1: Oh, my. I just, I can't even think too much no. about who they're going to include. Oh, in Ultimate Encounters, right? Oh my gosh. I talk myself into so many things to get my hopes so high. Clearly, it has to be the first team versus the Brotherhood, right? I would imagine so. It has to be like Psych, Gene, Bobby, Beast. Is Scott going to be the leader? Yeah, Scott has to be the leader. It has to be in this first phase. I think eventually you could do some cool stuff with different X Men lead different teams, like maybe an X-Men Gold team, an uncanny X-Men team. That's just going to be how many mutants do they want to put out? How many different models are they going to put out that will be slotting into these different teams? So it can get as complicated and convoluted and fun as they want it to, or it's going to be fun even if it's just one affiliation. we might see
0: more of that Winter Soldier keyword, that rogue agent. We might see more things like that. like Absolutely. Kind of jump teams in a way. I am very excited. Obviously, on top of that, too, we have the various ultimate encounters that could happen against the Sentinel, against Magneto, against Dark Phoenix, against Wolverine. Like We could do all kinds of ultimate encounters where one player is controlling a super powerful character against everybody else through some sort of circumstance. And that happens in X-Men so much. Oh, yeah. People are finally going to get what they probably always wanted, You know, Hulk versus Wolverine. Just different things, right? So I can't wait. It's, it's going to be so like great. Christmas for this game right now. Cause we're about to have Gen Con news. Everything's caught up. Spider-Man and Gwen are finally coming out. You know, they were CP 10. They were CP 10.
1: Yeah. They're way behind in the
0: game and they're just now coming out. And all that aside, Chris, I got to play another game and I got to try out the black order for the first time without an affiliation, no affiliation.
1: I'm excited to hear about it. So about I ran the one.
0: mall. I ran black dwarf. I ran Proxima and I ran Corvus. And I ran one stone. So that was 17 points with the stone. So they were excellent. Bruce. And I, I believe would it. say I think they're the hardest faction in the game to play for sure. Without a doubt. That's yeah, fantastic. I can't wait for you to hone in on them. And I think they're going to be a challenge for me for some time too. They're way more exciting than I even thought they might be because they're at a deficit in this game with objectives. They're really at a deficit when it comes to objectives mm-hmm. because there's no way for them to have enough models. On top of that, their models don't really care about objectives as much. Now, I say this, I'm talking about the team that I ran. When you bring in Thanos in, you do have a little bit more options with objectives, but ironically, you have less models even with Thanos because he costs more. But he He's can teleport people around and he obviously can use the stones to mitigate the battlefield and stuff. Man, they were exciting faction. I'm a huge fan of them all, as you can imagine. He is like oh, yeah. a weirder version of MODOK, which is everything I like, because he's full mystic, and he's throwing terrain all over the map. He's throwing characters away from him. It's great. So I played our friend again, he ran all Guardians. And though not painted, Guardians were assembled. We got to see the entire Guardians team in action, and I was blown away as well, because Chris, it turns out the Guardians has the strength that Wakanda has, which is a wide list. But nothing yeah. like Wakanda. Wakanda is about consistency, rerolls, objective control. Guardians aren't really about that. I mean, they've obviously got really good objective control because they have multiple units, but that aside, Black Panther can push people off, you know, Shuri can push people off, all these crazy things. Not so much that. It's more they're a wide team and every single player of the team brings something completely different to the battle. And that's unique as well.
1: Very thematic to yes, the group. Absolutely. Mass has done a great job of keeping these teams thematic and making them really feel like the comic book is coming to life. It's so cool. Yeah, Chris, and what a feat to do that because they're not
0: just contained within one team because these characters can go be part of any team. That's the nature of this game, list building. So cool. So, all that to be said, it was a bloodbath of a game because, you know, you're at a deficit as the Black Order with activation. So you've immediately got to try to kill things as quick as possible. You got to focus down on targets. And then eventually mid-game, late game, you're actually on even footing activation-wise. And then you start really doing better, you know, because there's no like, okay, I'm done with my whole team because I have four models, and you get to go with two or three guys now. <laughs> there's none of that late game. If you played them right. Right. And luckily that's how I did it. I killed Nebula very early, though she was very threatening. Every time Gamora jumped in, because Gamora is the Black Panther of the Guardians, which is very interesting. She's a threat. She does more damage to Black Panther, but she can pounce. Every time that happened, I just made sure to use the Maw and throw her, force push her as far away as possible, and just make her spend all her actions to get back. You know, smart. Do what you can. And, you know, I kind of like, in a weird way, did sort of a, a ball, like in other miniatures games, or people call the Star. Yeah you know, other games like 40K and stuff. I tried splitting them up. It was pretty strong because they can all go toe to toe with other characters. But in some ways, if there's an objective centrally located, they're really strong together because you're kind of weak, spread out, but together you're terrifying. So do you want to make the enemy come to you? Different questions like that. Notable things from our game. Drax is amazing. Drax is what Crossbones dreams about being at night when he's about the three threat. Oh no, he's a three threat guy that's tanky, like Crossbones, has high ceiling for damage, like Crossbones, and he has an incredible throw. He can throw size four, Chris. It just blew my mind. He's has one of the best throws in the game, and it's a three-threat man, Drax, but it's very thematic of Drax.
1: He's wonderful. What a great and We're going to get to him
0: soon on the show, obviously, but it's just it's these are initial thoughts. Rocket's still out of control. Rocket is just this glass cannon that does so much damage. Groot's great, and I stand by. I think Nebula is my favorite two-threat in the game. I was really happy with them all, but really it seems like Proxima and Corvus are the staple of every Black Order list, and you go from there. You can't really not play without them because the husband of Proxima Midnight and the wife of Corvus Glaive ability, where they get to go after each other. In sequence, you get to go all the way with one character and then go all the way with another character. If you want, you don't have to. You can just delete characters if you do it right.
1: Very powerful. But then
0: you're at that deficit of activations, Mm -hmm. then they just get to go with multiple, multiple things. So it's a really hard faction to wrap my head around. I'm really looking forward to us playing them on TTS and kind of learning their strengths because I ran them with no affiliation because no Thanos. And I think they're the first faction in the game that can do that. And I think it's because of the strength of their tactic cards and just the way you play them. If you play them right, it happens. So more battle report discussion in the future, Chris. But I mentioned the Guardians. I didn't mention how great Star-Lord was in the game. Scar-Lord almost brought the game fully back and killed the Black Order. And I think it got me more excited to talk about Star-Lord today because I got a lot of thoughts on this guy.
1: That's good. And
0: I, I think we just need to get into it because he's a pretty exciting character.
1: Let's do it. Fury's Finest is sponsored by Discount Games, Inc. Go to www.discountgamesinc.com for all your Marvel Crisis Protocol and miniature gaming needs. Our
0: patrons support Fury's Finest at patreon.com slash fury's finest. If you enjoyed the show, consider supporting it with a monthly contribution. We thank all of our patrons for their support.
1: A huge thank you to Dion E. this week. Thank you so much, Dion, for joining the Patreon. And as always, thank you to Martin, our producer.
0: Thank you, Martin. You made this episode happen. We appreciate it, guys. So, Chris, today we have our first fully-fledged cosmic character in the beginning of our Guardians of the Galaxy cosmic series, Star-Lord. Who is Peter Quill or Star-Lord?
1: Star-Lord is the son of human Meredith Quill and Spartoi Jason. It's spelled. J-apostrophe-S-O-N. That's how we're spelling. So we're just going to go with Jason. Peter Quill assumes the mantle of Star-Lord, an interplanetary policeman. The character has played prominent roles in comic book storylines Annihilation, Annihilation Conquest, War of Kings, and the Thanos Imperative. He became the leader of the space-based superhero team, the Guardians of the Galaxy, in 2008 with the relaunch of the comic of the same name which is really interesting. So, this character and this whole team is kind of more based off the movie in modern comics than they are based off the comic lore. The characters are taken from comic lore, but that team really wasn't together until the movie was you know, in production. Well, let's just pretend, Chris, people have
0: always seen the movie. So, expanding on what you just said, if you can explain it more, I, I think what you're saying and how I know it to be, all these characters existed... But most of the time, they were other places like last episode with Winter Soldier, where we talked about Gamora going on the quest for the eye and Bucky going with her. Exactly. Gamora's obviously been around quite a while. But every comic you listed here, Chris Annihilation, Annihilation Conquest, War of Kings, and Thanos Imperative were all mid to early 2000s, pre 2010. But I mean,
1: not exactly 2000, not pre 2004. But these comics were such a, a moving force in comics. The, this was Marvel cosmic at its right. peak. And Peter Quill was a very large figure in those stories. Star-Lord first appeared in comics and was created by
0: Steve Englehart and Steve Gon. First appeared in Marvel Preview Number 4, cover dated January 1976.
1: So let's get into Peter Quill's history when jason's ship crash lands in colorado he's taken in by meredith quill the two quickly form a relationship while jason makes repairs to his ship eventually jason is forced to leave to return home and fight in a war he leaves not knowing meredith is pregnant with peter quill 10 years later meredith is killed when she is attacked by two badoon soldiers who had come to kill Peter and end Jason's bloodline. Peter finds his father's gun by accident, kills them with a shotgun, and escapes his home before it is destroyed by the Badoon ship. The Badoon presume Peter has been killed and leave. Peter is then placed in an orphanage and eventually joins NASA. It was eventually explained that he was raised by his mother's best friend, Lisa Chang, who was a commander at NASA, thus inspiring him to join the program. Later, when his ship malfunctions and he's stranded in space, Peter is found by the Ravagers, a group of space pirates led by Yondu. After the Ravagers save Peter, he tries to steal their ship. He outsmarts the Ravagers and even knocks out Yondu before capturing him. After Yondu awakes, he frees himself and attacks Peter, letting Peter choose to be released to space without more trouble or to be killed. Peter instead asks Yondu if he could join Yondu's crew. Yondu eventually learns that the two share something in common, growing up as kids without homes. Yandu lets Peter stay in the ship with the Ravagers as their cleaning boy, and Peter decides to stay and try to learn everything he can while among
0: the Ravagers. Peter encounters the Fallen One, a former herald of Galactus, and is almost killed defeating the entity. In addition, his vessel, Ship, is destroyed in the conflict. Such an inventive name. Peter and the Fallen One are subsequently imprisoned in the intergalactic prison, Kilm. Peter is freed by the hero Nova during Annihilation War and aids in the war against the villain Annihilus. He later acts as a military advisor to the Kree general Ronan the Accuser. Whoa. That episode is yeah, not very far from now. When the Kree homeworld of Hala is conquered by the Phalanx, Star-Lord leads a band of rebels against the invaders until the war is over. In an effort to prevent another interstellar war, Star-Lord forms a new version of the Guardians of the Galaxy. They are proactive and try to end emerging galactic threats early, but are unsuccessful at preventing a war between the Kree and the Shi'ar. During a war with the invading universe, Star-Lord and Nova are prepared to sacrifice themselves to defeat Thanos, but only Nova dies and Thanos escapes.
1: Peter decides to remain inactive for a time until he discovers his father was planning to pass a law that forbade any interaction of extraterrestrial or space origin with Earth. Knowing this would be an open invitation for invasion, Peter decides to reform the Guardians with six members, Gamora, Rocket Raccoon, Groot, Drax the Destroyer, and Bug, along with himself, and start protecting Earth from any attack. So this is the movie team. Soon they aid the Avengers against the returned Thanos, and after this... Star-Lord and his new team of Guardians engage in conflicts with the Badoon. He is soon captured by the army of Spartax, but he escapes imprisonment and broadcasts a video showing the unfairness of his father's reign. During the War of the Builders, he infiltrated the Sword facilities and rescued Abigail Brand along with Rocket and new member Angela. He also declared war against the Shi'ar Empire after intervening in one of the trials to rescue the kidnapped young Gene Gray along with the X-Men. And that's going to be the X-Men Blue team. So that's a uh, young Gene, the young team in that's the right. future. During this mission, Peter meets Kitty Pride and the two eventually have a romantic relationship. Well, did not yeah. This. Afterwards, the Guardians are cornered and captured by the spartax army peter is sent to spartax where he confronts his father again and escapes after exposing once again his father's tyrannical reign a riot forms in the empire and jason is deposed as a consequence peter keeps a low profile and remains dedicated to his long-distance relationship with kitty soon he discovers he is elected by the spartax people to to be their new emperor. Peter ignores the announcement and focuses on Kitty in his search for a gangster named Mr. Knife, who would put a bounty on his head. After being captured by Knife, he realizes Knife is Jason, his father. He escapes that thanks to Kitty, and they spend more time together. Peter convinces Kitty to stay in space with him, and he decides to steal an important artifact from Jason. Peter
0: and Kitty are successful in stealing the artifact called the Black Vortex, but then find themselves outnumbered by Jason's killing squad. So they call the X-Men and the remaining Guardians for help. Knowing the artifact could give them the needed power to defeat Jason, Peter wanted everyone to submit the Vortex to gain cosmic powers. Kitty stood against the idea, but some of their friends submitted anyways after failing to stop them. The submitted Cosmic Warriors attacked Hala and Peter went with a team to help the Kree in the battle. After some failed negotiations for the Vortex, his team had to escape, but Jasan found them and destroyed Hollowed in retaliation. Peter escaped barely in time. After finding Spartax had been completely covered in amber by Thane, including Kitty, peter lamented not having heard her since the beginning and apologized to her kitty escaped thanks to her phasing powers and the lovers are then reunited again seeing no other way to defeat jason and his cosmic empowered team peter tries to submit to the vortex but after seeing that this power would eventually force him to push kitty away he refuses it kitty ends up submitting and saving spartex after the war peter proposes to kitty pride and she accepts
1: Hooray. Following the restoration of reality in the events of Secret Wars, if you guys want to know about that, just read all the Secret Wars stuff. It's a lot. Peter ascends to the throne of Spartax, with Rocket taking over leadership Ooh. of the Guardians, while Kitty, under the in- alias of Star Lady and The Thing, following the disbanding of the Fantastic Four, while the Richards family works to restore the multiverse, joins the team. After Cree, accuser Hala and the ruthless Yatot, the Destroyer, Caused mass destruction on Spartax while trying to eliminate quill he returns to the guardians due to the accusations of his delegates about his responsibility for the resulting damage and deaths during the civil war II storyline star lord and the guardians of the galaxy assist captain marvel as her surprise weapon in the fight against iron man during the battle the guardian's ship is destroyed which leaves them stranded on earth After Iron Man's faction leaves, Gamora overhears a conversation between Peter and Kitty in which she learns that Peter knew, without telling the rest of the team, that Thanos was on Earth the entire time they had been there. After stopping Gamora from storming into the Draskillian and killing Thanos, Gamora and the other Guardians leave Peter due to the secrecy. Peter and Kitty then break off their engagement.
0: Thanos breaking up teams and weddings. He'd like that. Living alone in an apartment given to him by Abigail Brand, Peter calls Howard the Duck to try and have drinks with him, and Howard furiously hangs up. He then finds Kitty and old man Logan in an art gallery, where Kitty shouts at him for carrying his guns into an art gallery. Frustrated, Peter leaves. Logan catches up to him, and they have drinks. Eventually, they fight Hitman, which attracts the attention of the police, which are always right behind Logan. Logan flees the scene, and then Peter is captured by the local police. Peter is prosecuted by Matt Murdock. Daredevil, who argues that unlike other superheroes, Starlord was reckless and endangered civilians while causing substantial property damage to the area. The trial is interrupted by Brand, who gets the judge to reduce Peter's sentence to community service, for which Peter agrees. Brand and Alpha Flight then give him a new skin tight costume, and he is assigned to senior citizen Edmund Allen, a retired supercriminal named the Silver Bandit. After a day of bonding, Starlord is hired as a bartender at a bar for supervillains owned. By Edmund's son. What a twist.
1: We had to leave that last part in there just because it's kind of it's so fun. It kind of illustrates what comic books are kind of all about sometimes. You know, they're not always serious, they can be very lighthearted, even when it's superheroes and stuff. Yeah, such. Chris,
0: my first thought after reading this, because I know very little about Star-Lord comic story outside of Annihilation, he's all over the place. He's dealing with the X-Men. He's dealing with the Fantastic Four. He's dealing with cosmic events. He's fighting Iron Man. The list goes on. He's really all over the place.
1: He's been very popular since the Guardians of the Galaxy movies have come out, and so he's just getting shoehorned in where they think he can I fit. Love it.
0: That's great. So, you mentioned the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, Chris, and that means we need to talk about his appearances in the MCU. Star-Lord's first appearance in the MCU is Guardians of the Galaxy. Of course, we are introduced to this entire cosmic element of Marvel as an MCU audience through this movie, through the opening scenes of Star-Lord finding the... Power Stone. And of course, him singing while listening to his Walkman. This kind of sets up the entire, of course, Infinity War saga. But on top of that, it kind of sets the stage, Chris, for everything cosmic. And I'm really looking forward to this next phase of the MCU. And I know you are too, where we're getting more cosmic stuff.
1: Classic Marvel cosmic is one of my favorite times in Marvel. And I'm very excited to see what all they take from that, what they use, and how they create this story for the big screen. Absolutely, Chris.
0: And fun fact, Guardians of the Galaxy, it might have changed with Infinity War and Endgame, but I don't think it did. Guardians of the Galaxy is still my number one MCU film. So, of course, I like talking about this. We're going to see this trend a lot, Chris, because we're going to talk about this. It's a great movie. It's a really great movie. And bringing the Star Wars vibe to Marvel, because that's kind of a clear choice Mm -hmm. they made. They obviously drew from these comics heavily, which draw from Star Wars as well, but they made a conscious effort to make more Star Wars-y adventure movie in the MCU and less about superheroes and more about this plucky team. Of course, then we have Guardians of the Galaxy 2. So in the first film, the team is established by the very end. They saved the day, right? And then the second one, we get a little bit more character development and we actually get the entire backstory of Star-Lord's dad. And that's kind of the focus of the second movie.
1: His dad in the Marvel Universe is vastly different from his father in the comics, but that's okay. You know, they portrayed Ego as a very evil character, and he has been evil in the past. Uh, He's also been good. That's the thing, too, right? Until he reveals himself to the audience. And Peter rejects that power because it's driving him away from his friends, which is perfectly in line with comic book Peter's character. Definitely, Chris. So they've done a great job of translating the characters to- well, I'm glad you mentioned screen. that too, because of course,
0: in Guardians 1, and we're going to get more into Guardians 1 every episode, I don't, don't want to wear you guys out with it. But of course, in Guardians 1, Peter defeats Ronan through his supernatural cosmic powers that he doesn't know he fully has until the end. And then of course, in the second one, as you just said, he has an opportunity to gain more power to really become this super powerful entity like his dad Ego, and he chooses not to at all. And in a way, he kind of scales back his power level, you know? Then, of course, we have Infinity War and Endgame. So, of course, Star Lord is a pretty major part of Infinity War. And in game, he's only in the final fight because, of course, he gets snapped away. But I really liked how they had the Guardians actually meet up with Thor initially, and then Spider Man and Iron Man, and then Strange, and they're actually the first line of defense against Thanos before Thanos even goes to Wakanda. Is that particular team? You know, the Guardians with those characters. And, uh, I was not expecting that either, Chris. Even my familiarity with the story of the Infinity Saga and everything about the Gauntlet—that was really neat. And I like Star Lord's interactions with Tony.
1: (laughs) Very fun. I need to rewatch that movie soon. I'll probably do that this week. You know, people rant and rave about Endgame and
0: for good reason. I mean, without a doubt, Endgame is incredible. Though you need to have seen over 20 films to fully enjoy it, because you know, it really is high moments of all those things. And Venny War Chris, I think, is just it just set the stage, you know. I just you know, the first time the good guys lost in Star Wars was the second movie? The first time the good guys lost in (laughs) The Marvel Universe was the twentieth movie. It's always an impactful moment, that Empire Strikes Back type moment. It sets in because you know good always wins over evil, right? But by the end of Infinity War, Thanos kills Vision, gets all the stones, makes the snap happen. You know, and we just talked about our Winter Soldier episode. Bucky's the first one we see go down, and he says Steve, and then they proceed to kill a lot of people, including most of the Guardians. It was
1: a very shocking scene.
0: There's moments in your life when you go to the theater and you see movies that are so impactful to the audience. Some of the Star Wars movies, some of these other things in my lifetime, and that was one of those moments, Chris. Like I saw it on a packed open yeah. night, Infinity War. There's like legit cries in the audience. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. yells of fear and nose and you know, very impactful. And of course, it makes in game all the sweeter. And when Star Lord comes back, and you know, I was not really expecting them to take the route they did because Gamora does die. In the arc of these movies for real, but the Gamora from the past ends up meeting Star Lord by the end of Endgame. So I'm really interested to see the route they take with their relationship moving forward because, of course, by the end of Guardians of the Galaxy 2, and of course, Infinity War, they kind of actually have a relationship. The irony of all this, Chris, is without that relationship, Peter wouldn't have messed up and Thanos wouldn't have gotten all the stones. And that's kind of the crazy part. He's the first domino in Infinity War, he makes the first mistake. They have Thanos subdued, you know? spider-man's got him wrapped up mantis has him psychically subdued they've got it and then he realized that Thanos had to kill his own daughter and peter just can't handle it you know just can't handle it
1: it's a lot it's for a man to take. take
0: and after this chris we have guardians of the galaxy 3 coming out very soon in the future now that all the bridges have been mended between disney and james gunn i'm so happy james gunn is coming back he is the correct choice oh yes that's yeah, he, great he news needs to be the one to do it and Thor being part of the Guardians, I don't know how much Thor is going to be part of it, but I really think he's going to be hopefully a substantial part. That's a great factor of this too. It's just going to be so much sweeter. Like they have freedom now, Chris. They've broken from the the last couple of phases of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and then on top of that, they can open all this new cosmic stuff. And you know, Guardians gives you more freedom in general. The Guardians movies just give you more freedom. They break away from the Tony Cap Winter Soldier all those little storylines that were happening for so long they get to be free of that. And I'm really excited about Guardians 3 because who knows what it's going to be like.
1: I will not be surprised if the next major developments start in a Guardians movie again. That'd be
0: interesting. Yeah,
1: certainly. Marvel consistently, when there is an emphasis on space, when they do have things in space, things originate in space. I like it. Typically. We'll see. That's just To add
0: on to what you just said, Chris, I think you're right. I think that is going to happen through some sort of meshing of Guardians 3 and Taika's new movie, Thor and Love and Thunder. I think we are going to get some sort of new setup for something happening big in cosmic elements because those are going to be big movies. Those are going to be the two bigger movies of the next phase because everything else is going to be kind of more low key in Marvel from here on out. I say that until new Spider-Man comes out, the new X-Men license comes out. All this new content is going to be a little bit more low-key, so I think they are going to make these big events happen in the Thor and Guardians movies, because to the general audience that doesn't necessarily see every movie, they're going to see those. Absolutely. Those are going to be huge
1: blockbusters.
0: And closing out our MCU segment, Chris, what are your thoughts on Chris Pratt as Peter Quill?
1: I mean, I feel (laughs) like... This question every week is ridiculous because every week it's just they did it's such a like great bringing job. Bringing
0: up mutants every episode inadvertently, not even trying to. Yeah. Never being in the show notes ever, X Men, except this week, it gets brought up. Also, never in the show notes. Great casting, but it gets brought up because
1: we have to talk about the casting. Because it's always wonderful. He really transformed yeah. himself physically, showed his range as an actor, stayed mostly in the comic vein, but now he's an action right, star. Because of this movie. Yeah, it's so wild to see the fat guy from Parks and several Rec. Several
0: other comedies. Yeah.
1: You know, he worked hard and he did a great job as Peter Quill. And you
0: know, Chris, this just goes out to their casting scouts because what a absolute perfect casting. Like, I would say this is on the same vein as Robert Downey and It's Chris right Sanders, there. Like as it's the absolutely right there. Man, I love all the Chris's. I'm going to say me that. Me too, man. Up front. I love Especially all the Chris's me. In, in this series. There are three Chrises that are prominent. Chris Hemsworth, it took him a little bit to get into Thor, but that worked because that's the way they treated Thor at first. He was a fish right. out of water. He was kind of bumbling. He didn't speak the same way as everyone. And then Chris kind of fully became Thor. Chris Pratt was Star-Lord the first second we saw him on screen dancing Absolutely. with the yeah. I always thought Star-Lord was a cool character and you know, Annihilation, all that. I always loved the Star Wars feel everything. I was like, okay, can they really get a super comedic... Han Solo.
1: They absolutely can. can. And they did.
0: It's Chris Pratt. He is a comedic Harrison Ford in a way. What made people love Harrison Ford so much? He wasn't just an action or a superstar. He was a physical actor. He was a comedic actor with his physicality. Chris Pratt does all this and they nailed it. They really nailed it. And I think this is actually one of the highest your echelons of their casting. like, And we talk about it every week. Last character episode, Sebastian Stan as Winter Soldier is amazing. No one else could have done that. Star-Lord is just a strange, unique character, like all the characters are in Marvel. But I think Chris Pratt somehow bridged the gap between Comic fans and new audiences, there was no proving himself.
1: They really molded the comic character to him instead of the other way around. Yes. He was that impactful of, of an actor, that impactful of a performance. It's incredible. Yeah. And you're right. Now
0: he's an action superstar. He is the lead character of a new Jurassic Park trilogy. It's so insane. So I'm so happy for him. I can't wait for more Star Lord because I think he's a great addition to this universe. And I can't wait to see more of the two Chris's. Thor, and Star-Lord interaction
1: Should be fun. Closing out our lore like we always do. Star-Lord has a couple powers. Let's get into it. Star-Lord is a master strategist and problem solver who is an expert in close-quarter combat, various human and alien firearms, and battle techniques. He has extensive knowledge of various alien customs, societies, and cultures, and considerable knowledge about cosmic abstracts, such as Oblivion. As Star-Lord, Peter Quill wears a suit that grants augmented strength and durability and the ability to travel through space. The character uses an element gun, a special meta-pistol capable of projecting one of the four elements, air, earth, fire, and water. Star-Lord shares a psychic link with his sentient space vessel, Ship. Ship is a sentient energy form. Ship most often exists in the form of a starship, but can alter her structure at will. She can travel through air, space, and water. She possesses many of the conventional starship accessories, including shields, energy blasters, advanced sensors, replicators, able to form any kind of food, drink, etc., etc., and holographic projectors. She's even proven capable of creating a human form, which she can then animate and use as a host. Even if completely destroyed, she is capable of restoring herself, since her true form is her consciousness. In addition, she takes on a number of feminine characteristics such as a mothering instinct for those she has partnered with. She has felt deeper attachments, including love for her partners. Ship can create widgets. Small, mobile droids able to scout out situations, gather information, and then return to her. The full extent of Ship's abilities are unknown. During Star-Lord's battle with the Fallen One, his element gun, suit, and ship were all destroyed. Due to severe injury, he was grafted with cybernetic implants by doctors on the kiln where he was sentenced. The eye implant allows him to see all energy spectra, and the memory chip in his brain gives him 100% total recall. On the Kree world of Aladdin Prime, Star-Lord's cybernetic implants were removed. Star-Lord was outfitted with a Kree-issued heat-dampening espionage suit, which became the hallmark look of the Guardians of the Galaxy. A battle helmet and a universal translator, all of which he still uses. His battle helmet can analyze strategic data, improve vision, and regulate oxygen in space. Star-Lord's chosen weapons are two Cree submachine guns with various types of ammunition, including explosives. So now you can see he's gone through a lot of different <laughs> equipment sets, power sets, and everything. It's kind of wild, but it's also very interesting. Yeah, he's an equipment Yeah, and, and it's interesting to see their various visions for him. Based on his equipment, firepower, etc. Also like where he currently is in
0: the story and who he's dealing with or who he's protecting, he kind of gets like mods and tools from them.
1: Yeah, it's a lasting impression of you know, his history of everything he's done. So,
0: Chris, closing this section out, we of course need a comic book recommendation.
1: Well, you're gonna be hearing this one a lot through the Guardians of the Galaxy, but I really need you all to read Annihilation and Annihilation Conquest, even if you're not a huge comic guy. These two stories are awesome, and they flow right into one another. They're fantastic. It's Marvel at its best.
0: Both on Marvel Unlimited. So I'm currently reading them, Chris. So I'm very excited to recommend them as well, because everything's on point. You get so much of these characters that we're going to be doing for the next several weeks, and I'm very excited. All right, Chris, we're in strategy. His name is Star-Lord. His alter ego is Peter Quill. On his healthy side, he has six stamina and on his injured side, he has five stamina. He has a medium move, a height of two, and a threat of three. His defenses are three physical, three energy, three mystic. Anything stand out to you just right now, Chris, early on?
1: Early on, he seems like a very three-threat character based on all of these numbers. You nailed it. He has the average defense on everything,
0: 3 through 3, three. Average height, of course. You know, that's most characters. A height of two. He's a medium move, which is standard as well. And then, you know, he's got 11 health, which is more than (laughs) Spider-Man. (laughs) Oh, goodness. So, Chris, I think we just need to get into his attacks because turns out Star-Lord is a pretty simple character, and I think that's why he's great. So, let's just get into it. His
1: first attack is going to be Element Gun. It is an energy attack. It has a range of four, strength of five, power cost of zero, After this attack is resolved, this character gains power equal to the damage dealt. What a great range on that. That's right.
0: This is very fresh in our minds, Chris, because we just did Winter Soldier as our last character episode, but if you remember correctly, Winter Soldier had a range 5 assault rifle that was a strength of 4. So Star-Lord is just a little bit of an inverse of that. He does a little bit more consistent damage for a little bit less range. But that aside, Chris, this is a
1: 4 range strike not all characters have a strike past range three. I really like it. A five strength attack for free is really not a bad thing. Range four, it's, it's really pretty sweet. Let's talk about his second attack.
0: It is an energy attack called full auto. It is also range four. So you're not going to have any problems keeping Star-Lord's ranges the same or, or different. A strength of seven, a power cost of three. It has a wild trigger elemental blast. After this attack is resolved, for each wild in the attack roll, the defending character gains one of the following special conditions: bleed, shock, slow, or stun.
1: So, how do you decide which condition is assigned? Well, Chris, that's tough. If you're fighting a long mover,
0: you give him the slow. If you somehow get the god roll and get four out of your seven results, not only successes, but all wilds, four out of the seven being wilds, you get to give all four of these. But you're right, Chris, there is a tactical element because you're rarely if not ever going right. to get four. You're rarely going to get more than two or one, so what condition is the most important at the time? That's what you're going to choose.
1: That's going to change based on who you're playing every time, based on the situation of the game. It's a very interesting thing. It's going to separate the better Star Lords from the pack.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: You know, Chris, the way this game is is like some conditions absolutely
0: cripple some characters of course he doesn't have a stagger in this that would just be broken i feel like but he has all the other major standard conditions like shock is great removing one dice from all that enemy characters attack rolls is great slow is incredible reducing speed stun you know mitigating power in any way is always good and then bleed we've talked about before bleeds interesting because i think it's really good early game and i also think it's really good late game Late game, you don't want to waste an action to show You want to do things. At the same time, late game, if you're teed up or you're already on your injured side, a bleed has a little bit more value. It's a little bit more scary because now you just finished your activation. You took a ping from the bleed, and now maybe you're closer to death and someone could actually knock you out. So there's a lot of questions here when you're playing Star Lord, but Chris, that's it for his attacks. That's it. A strike that's a five strength, that's range four, and a... Range for a shot again, but it's seven strength that gives out conditions.
1: That's it. Not good. Not bad.
0: <laughs> Not bad. Seven strength, Chris, for three power costs is actually really good. I will say that. It's probably one of the more consistent range damage dealers in the game, certainly. So that's when you start wrapping our head around. Starler's just a good ranged person. I kind of like him better than Winter Soldier. You know, once again, we're, we're just comparing attacks right now. Winter Soldier's big attack, if you remember, was the close range physical attack. So. It's just trade-offs, you know?
1: It's all about play style. Also, who you're going against or your objectives are going to play major factors and who all you're wanting to bring to. But Chris, I think we just need to talk about his superpowers
0: because I think it's going to really bring this character home. Let's
1: talk about his first one. It's called Winging It. It is the affiliation, Guardians of the Galaxy. Once per round, at the start of your turn, you may choose an allied character and discard a team tactic card To use this leadership ability, the chosen character gains three Winging It tokens. After rolling attack dice, defense dice, or dodge dice, it may discard one Winging It token to re-roll up to two of its dice. Only one Winging It token may be discarded per roll. Remove all Winging It tokens from that character during the next cleanup phase.
0: All right, Chris. So this is
1: not quite as clear
0: on first read like something like the Cabal or Avengers where you have this built-in economy, or even Wakanda, where we talked about, where you just pay power to get rerolls. First thing on this is that it says once per round at the start of your turn. So the most you could do winging it is only five times, because you have five times right. cards, and you have to do you would have to do one at least five out of the six rounds. That's already something to think about. When you're playing Guardians, you might want to start discarding cards starting round two right. for winging it tokens. Now, a lot of people when this first came out said, this isn't good because tactic cards are really powerful, so why would you ever want to discard one? I raise you and challenge you to think, stop thinking of this as discarding a tactic card. Think of this as a different tactics card, except you have five in your hand of this tactics card that say, give a character six rerolls for this round. Obviously, there's some contentions with it. You have to use them on separate attacks and defenses, like we talked about, two at a time. Chris, would you take that tactic card in your deck, at least one of those? Absolutely. So, yes. So this is where it's interesting. This is a one of those skill floor affiliations, Chris, because this is certainly not use a superpower on your turn. It's discounted by one. This is not when you deal damage to the enemy, gain one power. I'm looking at you, Cabal. This is not even the web warriors coming up where you just get extra rerolls on defense. This is a calculated maneuver from Star-Lord for his team, which, you know, this is actually fitting our lore earlier, Chris, quite well. And I already mentioned it earlier, but let's mention it now where we're here. This is the first Guardians episode. Every Guardian can punch above their weight class. And what I mean by that, like every guardian with this ability and just with the way they are, in my experience playing with them, can provide more than the threat they say on their cards. Makes that make perfect sense? sense, yeah. Is Rocket worth more than two threat if you play him right? Oh, yes. Rocket is much better than two threat if you play him right. Is Starlord better than three threat if you play him right? Yes, definitely. And I'm saying this right now, Chris, while we're here, this is the leadership of the ability of this faction. This is the first leader in the game that is three threat. That's a whole nother element entirely. Every other leader has been four threats. So we're looking at different economy things now too, right? But these tokens are hard. It's hard to use. It's hard to know, okay, I'm in round two. What am I doing this round? Am I just going to discard a card now? Or do you just only use maybe three winging a token's late game rounds four, five, and six, you know? I guess the thing with this is the Guardians tactic cards are not quite as intense and impactful as some other teams. So maybe you're just thinking, I'll take some Guardian tactic cards, I'll take some generic great tactic cards, and you know, I'll just ebb and flow, you know? Sometimes I'll wing it. Sometimes I'll was gonna I don't say
1: know. you might go out there and just wing it, huh? <laughs> That's right.
0: Rerolls for free. Because once again, we're not losing anything to, to do this. We're just changing one of our tactic cards to this tactic card, right? Six rerolls for one character in a round is great.
1: Especially if you're going to be good at identifying the linchpin character for yeah. that round. The character that's really going to make everything go. The character that's going to be in the middle of the action. If you can get that right and keep that on course and not let your opponent change that fact, it's very powerful.
0: The part that's hard about this, Chris, is like you can only use one winging a token per dice window. So if you attack twice with a character, you can use one winging a token each. You still have one winging a token left on him, but you couldn't spend that on your turn. Now, if that character gets attacked, you can use the winging token right. on defense. Inversely, you also could just run Drax up to a crazy objective, attack somebody, not even use winging tokens, and save all your winging tokens for the inevitable attacks that are exactly. piled on Drax and the things be thrown at him at the end of that round to push him off that objective or something. So it's very tough. Like you said, Chris, it's who are you fighting? What are they doing? Who's on your team? What are they doing? you just got to know when to use this. And this is obviously the most complex part about Star-Lord because he's pretty simple outside of this. But I think the more we play the Guardians, the more we're going to understand the power of this affiliation. And I will say, Chris, a lot of people in the community, a lot of the other content creators out there and stuff, no one's saying they've 100% got this figured out. And I agree with that entirely. I think this is one of those things that's going to mature with time, just like the Wakandan affiliation did as well. Star-Lord's next superpower, Chris, is an innate superpower called plucky attitude. When attacking, if this character rolled no hits, as in hit symbol on the dice, not successes, right? Crits or wilds. Crits or wilds would not trigger this. It may re-roll all of its current attack dice. When defending, if this character rolled no blocks or the shield symbol, it may re-roll
1: all of its defense dice. Super cool. Especially considering you can can crit and wild and still re-roll some dice. That's crazy. Well, yes, but you have to re-roll all of oh, them okay. either
0: way. It's a gambling ability. But
1: you're right, Chris. Like If you roll one
0: wild on that full auto attack with seven dice, yeah, you're going to pluck you out of it. Absolutely. You know what I mean? You're going to pluck you out to the whole thing. This is why Star-Lord and the games I've played with him and played against him has been deadly because- there's just rounds where he rolls one or two hits, but it's not actual hits, you know? It's like a wild. Most smart players are just going to reroll at every time because remember in this game, Chris, the dice always benefit attacks, right. you know? And this is actually helpful on defense too, because, oh, you just rolled your three defense dice. You know, you just rolled maybe a wild and a blank and a fail. If Starlord gets two blocks, he lives. You're going to reroll that. You're just going to try, you know? There's things like that. It's very thematic of this character. He's a scoundrel pushing his luck.
1: With a heart of gold. Come on now. Star-Lord has two more superpowers They are both innate. One is flight. The other is he is a gem bearer of the power gem.
0: That's right, Chris. The power gem reads, during the power phase, you gain one additional power. So we're seeing a trend here because keep in mind, every gem on a character already generates them one power. So this gets a little confusing in your head with the power gym, but just think, if you put a gym on a character during the power phase, they get one extra power. Then you get the special text on the gym. So Star-Lord's is, he gets power from the power phase, he gets a power from having any gym of any kind, but of course he can only take the power gym. And then you read the text on the power gym that says, during the power phase, gain a power. So you know what that means? He gets three power every turn. He gets to full auto at least once every That's turn. That's very
1: nice. It is. And, and you know, four threat is fine. For that kind of attack output, guaranteed every turn, I think that can be really gross. And I think this is just
0: showing to the flexibility of the Guardians, Chris, because I think if you're playing Guardians, you're probably going to take a power gem because it turns out Ronan can also take the power gem. So just to have that as one of your 10 slots in your roster, I think actually works quite well because you're not going to take it every time. You're not going to take it on Starlord every time. You're not going to take it on Ronin every time. But sometimes we talked about in this show, this the threat- gets weird. Yeah. You need that one more point. Sometimes you don't want Groot. You might just want Star Lord with a power jam and then another two threat character. There's just options. It gives you flexibility and I think that's really nice. And Chris, you know, it's nice to start seeing even more characters that can bear gems. Because this is a part of the game we're still trying to wrap our heads around with the list. Absolutely. A new thing.
1: It's such an original idea. It's I haven't used any yet and I'm very excited to we're a little
0: bit fixated on the gym because it's obviously important. It's He's our first leader in the game that can have a gym up to this point on our show. But that aside, Chris, before you said the gym, you said something else important. You said flight. I love flight. I love it so much because if you're playing with a fully terrained out board, and I know a lot of people certainly are right now on TTS because they even have preset boards with great terrain. You need flight. You need it to grab those objectives. You need all these sorts of things. And of course, Chris, when you're on top of a building and you know, you flew up there and you're shooting down. You always have cover no matter what. There's just so many reasons why flight is good. And unfortunately, I've been saying for some time that I think Iron Man is very viable because he has flight and he's through threat. I think Star Lord has dethroned
1: him on my particular. I list. could see that happening so. very easily. Yeah. They're very similar. Well, I'm a big fan of this Star Lord kit. I'm really excited to try and use him. He's simple
0: and he's consistent.
1: I really like having a team full of mostly simple characters and then having one or two wild cards that you can kind of show your skill with. Yes. You need to take out as many variables as possible in each game.
0: One, well, Chris, this is our first of many Guardians episodes, so Starlor is going to set the stage going forward. So when we talk about our next episodes, guys, the next Guardians, we're always going to have Lord in mind because we have to have him, Chris. Exactly. We We have to.
1: Fury's Finest is supported by our wonderful patrons. You can become a Fury's Finest patron by going to patreon.com slash Catch our streams of Marvel Crest Protocol at twitch.tv slash and follow the show
0: on Twitter at Fury's Finest Cast, Instagram and Facebook at Fury's Finest. Email us with any questions or inquiries at fury's at gmail.com and continue to leave us reviews on Apple podcasts. It really helps guys.
1: Thanks to approaching Nirvana for our intro and outro music and help spread the word about our show. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review.
0: You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Jesse Aiken. Also check out my Star Wars show, The Canon Cantina. And also, of course, check out my brand new show, Project Starhawk, which is a podcast all about the upcoming Star Wars Squadrons game, which Chris and I will certainly be playing in our downtime from MCP to hopefully unwind. I say unwind. You know, people are going to be flying so incredible in that game. They're going to be flying
1: circles around us. I'm already tilted.
0: (laughs) You're already tilted. It's all right, Chris. You're just playing the Y-Wing, man. You're just (laughs) tanky. We'll You've see. got all the heavy weapons. We'll see. I,
1: might, I might change it up and try and go Interceptor on you. It would be a very Chris move. Chris is like, <laughs> I want the highest
0: skill ceiling thing that's going to tell me the be most. the worst player on the team Try to play it. <laughs> I'm going to play the ship with the lowest floor and the highest ceiling, and it will Certainly tilt me the most.
1: (laughs) That's me in a nutshell, baby. I'm scared to play the Interceptor in that game, Chris, for that very reason. I actually am too, but you just know I'm going to get in there and want to. One flick of
0: the wrist and you're done. But yeah, they're certainly a formidable ship. So if you guys are interested in squadrons at all, please check out my podcast. As you know, when you launch a podcast, it is very important to set a listener base, get reviews, get subscribers. So all that really helps. And we're really looking forward to doing content on Star Wars Squadrons.
1: You can follow me, Chris, on Twitter at Chris C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-F-F-E-T-T. That's it for Star Lord. Thanks for listening. True believers. Excelsior. The world has gotten even stranger than you already know. At this point, I doubt anything would surprise me. 10 bucks says you're wrong. another name you might know me by star lord who star lord man legendary
0: outlaw